she got spayed. She had some like cancerous mammary masses that we removed at the same time and healed well from anesthetic and surgery and went on to just go back with her person. And it was great to be able to contribute, you know, literally like something that we do every day, but clearly for someone who had such a deep bond and relationship with their animal that otherwise the outcome would have been very different and incredibly heartbreaking and sad for them. Welcome to Give a Dog a Bone. I'm Genevieve Frederick, the founder of Feeding Pets of the Homeless. Find out more about our mission and the animals we've helped. Hear the stories of insiders, volunteers, and leaders about why we do what we do and how you can make a difference. It's all here on Give a Dog a Bone. Welcome to this edition of Give a Dog a Bone. I'm Genevieve Frederick, and my guest today is Dr. David Kowalik, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. You got it right, Genevieve. Good. Thank you. I'm glad. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself and about your veterinary hospital. Yeah, thank you. So as Genevieve said, I'm David Dr. Kowalik, Dr. David, whatever is easy. My partner, Michaela, and I, along with a dear friend of ours who's a licensed technician and now our hospital manager, bought a veterinary clinic together um, earlier this year, mid-pandemic. And we're about six months in and enjoying all the challenges that it's bringing. We're at Riverside Veterinary Hospital in Dayton, Nevada. Um, I've been qualified for 10 years this June feels like way less time has transpired than that. I did my veterinary schooling in Scotland, um, originally from Pennsylvania, where I did my undergrad in Pittsburgh. And I do mainly small animal, dog and cat medicine and surgery. And currently on the board of Feeding Pets of the Homeless, which is a fantastic organization that has helped me get into some more of the human animal bond gaps in care that we as different kinds of organizations can bridge together. Yes. Um, David has actually been on our board since uh, January 2019, has been a great addition, has gone out and uh, volunteered his time to work with us locally to do wellness clinics that are free to uh, people that show up, which is usually in the springtime because of COVID. We've pushed this out to September this year. But anyway, David has, I've always been very impressed with his drive and his passion. And while he's been on our board, he and his uh, partner have had two babies, which are just um, amazing. I, I love it. They are so amazing. He's a young, fam- a young family man, and we are very, very pleased that he's on our board. What else would you like to say about the, the human-animal bond between the homeless and their pets? So I think prior to becoming acquainted with your organization, it wasn't readily apparent to me what my unquestioned biases were around people experiencing homelessness and having pets. 
And it's been a real eye-opener, um, and especially in getting to do those wellness clinics and getting to see firsthand how deeply these individuals care for their animals. And their means of care might be different or you know, financially limited, but they're very clearly loved and attended to, and in some respects have a quality of life that is better than my own animals. So that's been immensely helpful in broadening my perspective. Wonderful, good. I'm, yeah. We're hoping that this podcast does the same thing for all of our listeners, that they now understand how important these animals are to these people. Sometimes these animals are a lifeline. Truly, they are. How many pets? Tell us about your own personal family pets. So presently in our home, we have two dogs. Kaylee, who is a lurcher, and a lurcher is a sighthound cross working dog. Um, she comes from England. She'll be eight years old. Wow, she's going to be eight. And we've got Brecken, <laughs> a little Jack Russell Terrier. She's incredibly spirited and um, she's from Wales and she's going to be like a couple years younger than Kaylee. Yeah. And we've also Ooh. got a, a desert tortoise that we obtained through a group that rescues them from Southern Nevada where they are displaced by like habitat fragmentation and development. His name is George. He's probably in his twenties or so and he hangs out in our backyard most of the year and he bruminates during the winter months. How long do they actually live? I don't know for certain. I feel like it's probably decades, like 60, 70, 80 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Kind of like a parrot. Yeah. So oh. he's about dinner plate size. He's got a little den in the hillside out back and comes out and snacks in our garden and moseys around. <laughs> Do you still have chickens? We don't. We um we live adjacent to Bureau of Land Management uh, expansiveness, and I think we have a lot of coyotes and other predators that frequent the neighborhood. And um, our chickens have been tithed to nature. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. Well, you know, we've all kind of struggled during the pandemic, and you certainly. I, you know, it was brave of you to purchase a a clinic, a hospital during that time. What kind of challenges have you experienced at your hospital? Yeah, I think my partner and I met in vet school. We've pondered the idea of owning and running our own practice for years. And it's one of those things where I don't think the circumstances would ever have aligned and seemed right. And in this case, an opportunity presented itself where the veterinarian who had started the business in the early 2000s was retiring. And I had worked alongside him part-time for a year and a bit. And it was a great opportunity. We have a business partner and incredibly skilled and competent person who is helping us with the process as well. And the three of us are kind of blundering along in some respects, but figuring it out as we go. We've gone from, it was basically a one doctor, three staff member clinic. We've now got mostly one doctor, but Michaela, Dr. Collins steps in as well. So there's kind of like one and a half of us. And we've got about seven or eight staff. 
So people, interestingly, a lot of us go to veterinary school to because we love animals, we want to help animals, but very rarely do those animals exist in isolation or in a vacuum. They they tend to have people. So so much of what we're learning and becoming more capable of doing is is a lot of person person interactions, whether it be with our staff or clients or pet owners. Yeah. Yeah, I found that to be true working with uh veterinarians. They go to school to learn how to treat the animals, but they haven't been taught the business side or the the yeah. the marketing promotion side of it. And that Very is, much. you know, one of the things that businesses we try to make them be aware that by joining with us and partnering with us to be a donation site that allows them to let their community know that they are socially responsible they want to give back to their community and our staff puts out press releases for them we get their their name on to social media and in our newsletter and right. our newsletter has almost 15,000 subscribers so wow. you know it's it's there's a lot of benefits by being a donation site no matter what kind of business you have but i um understand that you're you know you will be coming one very soon and we look forward to working with you and your staff to promote your business so yeah that's that's going to be great do you have any specific stories that involve pets that would resonate with our listeners today? I mean, and I, let me let me back up. I was looking for a story on a, a case uh, the other day, and it came to my attention that a hospital called us because a young homeless woman came in with her dog. And the dog had been stabbed numerous times by a domestic, it was a domestic violence situation. Yeah. And so we, of course, jumped right in and we paid for this uh, beautiful dog to get the lacerations and then uh, antibiotics for the dog. And then she went back to her car and I think she left the area to get away from the abuser. But wow. those are the these are the kinds of situations that our staff are are dealing with every day, and it yeah. just breaks my heart. Yeah, I recall a case, Genevieve. It would have been when I was working the hospital that we now own. Uh, it used to be Dayton Riverside Vet Hospital. Um, it was probably about two years ago, and unbeknownst to me, uh, one of your caseworkers had been in touch with. Um, a person experiencing homelessness in the area who had, I, I feel like she had two smaller dogs and at least one was a, a entire unstayed bitch who had been in heat and who had subsequently developed a condition called pyometra, which is not uncommon. It's where they get an infection of their uterus and they can get very sick and die without treatment. And the fix for it is really straightforward. It's basically a spay that's slightly higher risk. And Feeding Pets of the Homeless had approved of the estimate and things. They came in. I think I found out that they were one of your cases the day that they presented. And she got spayed. She had some like cancerous mammary masses that we removed at the same time and healed well from anesthetic and surgery and went on to just go back with her person. And it was great to be able to contribute, you know, literally like something that we do every day. But clearly for someone who had such a deep 
bond and relationship with their animal that otherwise the outcome would have been very different and incredibly heartbreaking and sad for them. You're right. With that dog experienced, we get a lot of cases with that same situation. Sometimes um, the dog is already have, you know, a litter in her when they when we figure out something's not right. And, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that's pretty sad, too. That's why it's so important to have these dogs spayed and neutered when our cases are a dog or a cat is injured or ill and they call our you know we we take that case we right. always ask the hospital if it's appropriate if they're going to do anesthesia on that animal would this be a good time to do a spay or neuter and yep. then of course we always have the doctors you know on every case update the vaccinations which is important because these dogs are out on the street they have yep you know, they're carrying all kinds of stuff. And so it's important that they that we add that to the bill. We we're not a an organization that just does spay and neuter or mm -hmm. just does vaccinations. That's what the wellness clinics are all about. And then we hope that uh, a low cost clinic will partner with us during a wellness clinic and offer some um, spay and neuter services as well. I think we, Genevieve, you and I are, are both in Northern Nevada and I've lived and practiced in other places and I feel like we are incredibly privileged to be where we are in that we have a multitude of organizations who are doing similar work and willing to partner together. I remember that the, the wellness clinics that we've done here locally, there's an outreach facility in Carson City that's willing to host them and provide other resources to the people. And there's a local group called Carson Animal Services Initiative, Cassie, who has put forward a lot of the spay-neuter vouchers that a number of the veterinary clinics in the area are willing to take up. And uh, the Nevada Humane Society stepped in running Carson Animal Services to do dog licensing to get those rabies tags in the system. And it was great to just have everyone working together to, you know, provide that care and literally have someone off the street experiencing homelessness, bring in their animal, get it checked out, have vaccines updated if it needed spayed or neutered, get a voucher for that, have a rabies tag done and animal control knows who they are, that if they should ever come across them stray, they can reunite them. And it was, it's, it's fantastic. And I, I haven't been other places where that network exists. We're trying to do that across the country. We encourage yeah. Um, veterinarians to volunteer their time, we pay for the hard costs. So it's the vaccinations and the syringes and anything that the doctors feel that they need to do a, a, a fairly good wellness clinic. And mm -hmm. they do it where the homeless congregate. And that's the important thing. So right. luckily, um, the veterinarians that work with us at this wellness clinic they donate all of the materials that go with it. So we're, we're vaccinating up to 80 dogs in four hours, and they're going through this little system and mm -hmm. out the door, and they've got everything is already there. So we encourage other uh, vets that I hope are listening today that if you want to work with us, we're, we, we have all the guidelines. The system is down perfect. And um, it runs very smoothly, and you can see a lot of animals in a very short amount of time. 
So yeah. I, I want to thank you so much for spending these few minutes with us today. And I appreciate your, your passion and your, your expertise and being on the board has been a, a great help to us because we know we can call you when we have an issue that involves an animal and we're not quite sure what to do about it. Yeah. So yeah, it works out well. Is there anything you'd like to add to this interview before we call it a day? Circling back to where we started, Genevieve, about the human-animal bond. It drives what we do at our practice. And for folks who are fortunate enough to be housed and have some stability in their life who have pets, I think it's worth just considering if suddenly some of those things changed quite drastically, which I think it has for a hunk of our population during the pandemic. You know, our animals are so important to us and maybe just take a minute to think about how appreciative we are to be where we are, but also honoring the relationship that people who are experiencing homelessness have with their animals. And if you should happen to come across someone or ever be in the sphere of influence of improving their relationship or their state of being, consider doing that. Wonderful. That's great. Great, David. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And, you know, if, if like David said, should you run into a homeless person with an animal, let them know about us so that if that animal is sick or injured, they know who to call. If they need pet food, they can call us and we will direct them to a food bank in their area that will um, give them pet food. So, well, folks, I think this is it for today. And I hope you'll stay tuned for our next episode of Give a Dog a Bone. My name is Genevieve Frederick. I'm the founder of Feeding Pets of the Homeless. Thank you, Genevieve. You've been listening to Give a Dog a Bone, brought to you by Feeding Pets of the Homeless. If you've enjoyed the show, help us by leaving us a five-star review. It really helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media and the web at petsofthehomeless.org. I've been your host, Genevieve. Until next time, thanks for listening.